We all need a friend like Ruth, don't we? Uh, if you have a friend in your life like Ruth, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing, and it's a great thing to have a friend like that, especially in this season of quarantine and, and COVID-19 and other things going on. And so what's important for us is to have relationships and have connections so that we don't feel like we're all alone. Part of that loneliness actually stems from a, our friendships and ha- what kind of friends we have and who our friends are. And a lot of times we think of friends, we think of uh, social media like Facebook and how many friends we have on Facebook. And we may have a lot of friends on Facebook, a lot of connections through social media and still feel all alone and feel loneliness. In fact, it's interesting that even today, uh, the younger generations, young adults are reporting that 30% of young adults today have no close friends. Uh, and that also seems to be at the same time that social media has gone on the rise. As social media has increased, so has loneliness. Not that there's a cause effect, but is there a correlation? Is there something going on where we're staying connected more through social media rather than in-person relationships where we can actually create good friendships and close friendships? That could be a factor. So we all have some type of friends, some type of connection and relationship to people. And actually, there's something called the friendship pyramid, and I'll take a look at that this morning. You notice it's a pyramid because at the bottom of a pyramid, there are more people that are strange. That's the category strangers. So the 7 billion people on the planet, most of those people are strangers to us. They don't connect with us. We don't know them. But then we might meet somebody and connect with somebody, and so when we do that, they might become an acquaintance. You know, you could say, well, yeah, I've met them, or I know them, I've heard about them. And so they're an acquaintance, but they're not really a friend. Then you've got a category of potential friend. That's somebody you've met, maybe had a conversation with, maybe even had a cup of coffee, and you think, oh, this is a, I really like being with this person. This is a potential friend. You know, maybe we need to hang out more together, that kind of thing. And then we have people who are good friends, people who are friends that we connect with, that we regularly see, that we'll get together with, grab coffee, dinner with, hang out with when we are not in quarantine, obviously. And we'll do those things. And so those are good friends. And then the greatest friend, the best friend that we can have is a best friend. We call them best friends, but we also call them loyal friends. And really want to take a look at what it means to be a loyal friend today, because that loyalty is so important today. That's what this is we're talking about, is what does it look like to be a loyal friend, a committed friend to someone else? And we need those types of people. So it's really not about the number of friends but the commitment of those friends that we have. And we're going to look at commitment, friendship, loyalty this morning in a story out of the Bible. But I want to share with you this definition out of Proverbs from the Bible. 17.7 says this, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. See, that's the thing about loyal friends. They stick with you no matter what. They stick with you no matter how bad things get. They'll be there for you even if things get bad. And that's really the story we're looking at this morning. We're looking at a story of a woman named Naomi. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Naomi. Naomi uh, was from Bethlehem, which also, if you know the Christmas story, is the birthplace of Jesus. But this is happening hundreds of years before Jesus. And Naomi and her husband uh, are living in Bethlehem, and the, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But what was happening is they ran out of bread in Bethlehem. There was a famine in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her husband moved to another place, to another people of another culture, another ethnicity, called the Moabites, and they go live in the land of Moab, and they have two sons, 
And those two sons uh, grow up, and they marry two women, and their wives are named Orpah and Ruth. And so these two women are married. They're Moabite women. So their sons intermarry with the Moabites. And so these two ethnicities come together in their family. And so uh, they, her husband actually dies and they live in the land for 10 more years with her sons and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And then both her sons die. So here's where we pick up the story. Naomi is left alone with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and they have been together, and they're trying to figure out what to do 10 years later after the death of her husband and now the death of her sons. And they've heard some news about what's happening back in Bethlehem. So here's the story. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by the arrival. It's real, is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we see this story, and this story really is a beautiful story of loyalty, right? Loyalty from Ruth. In fact, the book in the Bible is named after her, Ruth. She's got her own book of the Bible. She is named after her, and uh, she is a great example of what a loyal friend looks like. So Naomi was not just her mother-in-law. She was a loyal, she was a friend, and they had a great relationship. And so that's what's happening here. And what we see in Ruth is this, this unrelenting love and compassion and loyalty towards Naomi. Notice some of the things that Ruth was willing to give up, right? Because really this is about 
uh, sticking with someone through thick and thin, and even being willing to make some sacrifices to be in relationship and be with them. So notice that Ruth is willing to give up her home for Naomi. They're living in Moab. That's her homeland. That's where she grew up. That's the people that she knew. She's willing to give up her home. I think about when uh, uh, my wife Heather and our, our daughter Lauren, we moved across the country from the East Coast. And when we did that, we encountered new types of foods that we hadn't encountered before. We knew clothing styles. Uh, things. There were things of home, foods from home that we missed. There were uh, clothing styles that changed uh, moving here, and other things that are just from home that they just feel like what you're used to. And so that's exactly what Ruth is willing to do with Naomi. She's willing to go and live in a totally different place. And so along those lines, Ruth is willing to give up her culture, her background, her cultural background, uh, to stop being around people like her, right? So she was constantly around people who are not like her, or we want to get around people who are not like her, where she's used to being around people like her, other Moabites. Ruth is also willing to give up her religion. In fact, she probably already has at this point, knowing Naomi, because even in her promise to Naomi, she invokes the name of God and Naomi's God. So Naomi must have revealed uh, God, the God that she knew, to Ruth. And Ruth has accepted that God herself and is even invoking his name in her promise to stay with Naomi. So she gives up her religion. And Ruth is also willing to give up her very future, future of a husband, future of a family that she probably was longing for. All that future, all those fulfillments that she was looking for and longing for, she was willing to set aside because of her relationship, her loyalty to Naomi. Now, you might be asking the question, that's a lot to give up. (laughs) Exactly. That's loyalty, right? And notice that Naomi is not in a good place. I mean, it's easy to be friends with someone who's always positive and cheery and joyful, It's hard to be friends with somebody who's bitter and angry and frustrated. And that's exactly where Naomi is. That's what makes this all the more wonderful, beautiful story happen, is that Ruth is willing to do all this and give all this up, even when Naomi's not at her best. In fact, Naomi's at her worst. That's a loyal friend, right? A loyal friend is someone who will stick with us even at our worst, even when we're not in a good mood, even when we don't have everything right, even when we're broken. And the reason that this book shows up in the Bible, and I think the reason that we have this in the Bible, and a lot of scholars think that we have this in the Bible, is because Ruth exemplifies God's love to us. Notice that Ruth clung to Naomi. She would hold on to Naomi. I want you to hold on to that image because that's God's wanting to cling to us. We've been saying you're not alone. God clings to us. God wants to hold on to us tightly, just like Ruth did to Naomi. And here's how we know that. Because there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about Jesus and Jesus coming to be with us. God's son comes to us and it's God's way of clinging to us and saying, I want to stay loyal to you. I want to be a part of your life. Notice the language here in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 38. It says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Notice that. Nothing can separate us. It's the same kind of language that Ruth 
used for Naomi. Don't separate us. I'm going to cling to you. God clings to us in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Death won't, culture won't, future won't, none of that. Worries, anxieties, none of those things can separate us from God's love. That's what it says in Romans, because of Jesus Christ. So that's so important to see that God is loyal to us, even when we're broken, even when we're bitter. And God is even loyal to Naomi, even when she's bitter, even when she's feeling like God has turned against her, God's actually for her. And so, and, and God sends people like Ruth into our lives to be for us and to be loyal to us, to express God's loyalty to us in Jesus Christ. So that's what's going on. That's what loyalty looks like, right? Yet today, we may not be experiencing that. In fact, we might be experiencing from our friendships not so much loyalty. In fact, today, we may be experiencing some other things in terms of our relationships. I recently watched a a documentary called The Social Dilemma, and they were interviews with top execs for social media companies and social, uh, um, you know what I'm talking about, Uh, social, yeah, social media companies like Facebook, Pinterest, um, Google, and all these top executives, these were the people, some of these people created these uh, types of social networks online. And they interviewed them, and they've left those companies, they've interviewed them, and they've said there's a problem. There's a brokenness to the system uh, of online uh, social interaction. And they suggest that at the same time that social media and social platforms online were on the rise, so was polarization in our country. We have become more and more divided at the same time that social media has been on the rise as well. Are these two things connected? What the interviews reveal is that they could possibly be connected, that there are things going on in our social networks that are actually creating more division and less loyalty because here's what we've done with friendship, at least online. Here's what a friendship has defined. It's no longer defined by loyalty by people who stay with us, but agreement, right? We've replaced loyalty with agreement. And agreement to us now means friendship, that you can be my friend if you agree with me, right? So notice that loyalty has nothing to do with agreement. Loyalty has to do with loving a person and staying connected to them even if you don't agree. How many marriages do both partners agree? (laughs) They don't. I've even been in the church long enough to know that a whole church community will not agree on everything and every issue. And if we make agreement, our commit, build our commitments around whether we agree or not, we'll never stay committed to each other. We'll never stay loyal to each other. And notice that God loves us even when God doesn't agree with us. That God still stays by us and reaches out to us even when God doesn't necessarily agree with the way we're running the planet. And so there are things like that. And so loyalty, you got to be careful. You know, I came across this meme uh, this week on Facebook. It says this, so you sent me a friend request. I wonder how long it will be before I offend you and you delete me, right? Friends don't delete other friends. That's the bottom line. If I'm loyal, I'm not going to delete you. If you're a good friend or a loyal friend, we're not going to delete each other, even if we don't agree with each other. And yet that's what we find happening today. This polarization is going on and this division is happening in our lives. And I've seen it in the church as well. I want to give you a piece of that. But here's a definition of what it means to be a friend. Another definition from Psalms 
uh, Psalm 15. It says this, Friends are, are those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Right? I think it's a great, another great definition of what it means to be a friend. Some of the things there to point out is that they, they speak the truth from a sincere heart, right? They're, they're genuinely speaking truth. They don't gossip about their neighbors or their friends. They don't go around them and, and go around and talk to other people about them or say comments about other people, but they go to them and speak truth directly to them. They also don't speak evil of their friends. They don't go around and complain about their friends. And they also, notice this, loyalty, right? They keep their promises even when it hurts. And that's really what it means to be a part of a community, to be a part of a, a faith community, to be a part of a church, is to be in a place where people will stick with you no matter what, where people will stick with you in your bitterness, where people will stick with you in, your, in their disagreements and stay at the table in those disagreements because loyalty and exemplifying God's love towards a person is more important than agreement all the time. And there's times when we don't always get that right in the church. But how do we build trust in a relationship? Trust is built through commitment, not agreement. I will trust a person who may not agree with me, but they'll stick by me. And that's the type of people we're called to be. And those are the type of friends we're called to be. So trust is actually built that way. That's why marriages can work. That's why churches can work. That's why other groups can work because people are committed and keep their promises to God and to each other to be in community together. So I was thinking, how do you do this? How do you, how do you get uh, loyalty in relationships? How do you work towards loyalty? And some of you know, have heard me talk about this before, and I'm going to bring it up again, so it may be a little repetitive, but it's a great example uh, one of the things that uh, my grandfather was a mechanic, and my father was learned from him, and of course I learned from both these uh, people how to work on a car. One of the first things you learn in uh, home mechanic school is how to change the oil in a car. Change a tire and then change the oil. And so for years I've changed the oil in our cars, and one of the things, the reason we do this, now we kind of just take it to a shop and drive in, and they change the oil and we drive out, so we don't know the process, but if you don't change the oil in your car, it will break down. It's the same with relationships. There's an oil that we all need in our relationships because what oil does is it cuts down on the friction between the gears in the engine, the, the parts of the engine. And without that oil in between to, to reduce the friction, what happens is it gets so heated, right? The engine gets so heated, it overheats and it seizes up and it breaks down. And so it's cheaper to replace your oil than to replace your engine. And I think we're in a time where it's, we really need some more oil in our relationships. And what is the oil? It's something called grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, like God's love. God's love is grace towards us. We don't always deserve it. We don't always get it. And we oftentimes are not doing things the way that God would want us to do them. And yet God still loves us and offers grace to us. That's oil to keep the relationship going. And we also need to offer one another grace. 
there are times that other people are not going to agree with us, or there are times when other people aren't going to see things the way we see things. There are going to be friends that won't, we won't necessarily line up with, and yet can we extend grace to one another when we don't agree? Can we still love each other? Can we still stay loyal to each other even when people are at their worst? That's a tough thing to do, but that's what grace allows us to do. Grace and God's love actually enables us to stay in relationship. It's like oil to an engine. If you don't have the oil, it's going to be really hard to stay in that relationship. It's going to be really hard to not always be creating that friction. And without some grace in there, some, even some forgiveness in there, that relationship will break down. And there's no chance of loyalty there. So that's the thing. We need more grace. It's also interesting that when God sent Jesus, it says in the Gospel of John that Jesus came full of truth and grace. That a good friend, a loyal friend, will be able to speak truth to us because that person knows they'll still love in the end. There'll still be grace in the end. And it's not all like, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to speak truth to you, but I'm also going to offer you grace at the same time because I'm a loyal friend, right? And those are the type of friends we need. We need people to speak truth into our lives, and we need them to do it with grace, Actually, there's another Bible passage, speak the truth in love. Again, truth and love together when we're in relationship. See, sometimes we're all grace and no truth. Other times we're all truth and no grace. And I think that there is so important for us at times to bring grace back into our relationships and even into our disagreements so that we can be the friends that God calls us to be. Jesus came with grace and truth. You may have heard Christians talk about what a friend we have in Jesus. In fact, we got a song that we sing called What What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And that's because Jesus is the greatest loyal friend we could ever have. Because Jesus speaks truth to us and offers us grace and forgiveness and love. And our relationship with God is restored and reconciled, right, because of that truth and that grace working together towards us. Now, maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've heard other Christians talk about having Jesus as a friend, and that seems a little weird to you. Sometimes it sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Like, this, like it's an imaginary friend. No, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is a real, loyal friend and will come and work in our lives. All we have to do is ask him. He's ready to come into your life, into my life, into our lives today, and to be that loyal friend. I'd invite you to invite him into your life today. Let's pray.